Hi, this is Ben Zorns of Ellerslie Mission Society. This message by Pastor Eric Ludy is entitled, Mind Your Own Business. There's a word in Christianity that sort of sticks out like a sore thumb. If there were such a thing as a word high school, this word wouldn't be invited to any of the parties. The word is judgment. We're all afraid of being judgmental, but the scripture seems to point to the fact that we're each given spheres of judgment. And outside of those spheres, we should simply mind our own business. Please contact us at www.ellersley.com. Now here's Pastor Eric Ludy. I have quite the message uh, for you today. Uh, I, this would probably have been a 40-pager. Now, you, you don't know what that necessarily means unless you download the notes online. But uh, this is 40 pages of notes cut down to what ended up being 16, which usually a message in here you don't know, maybe, because you just sit there uh, and listen. But our notes, when they're translated into keynotes, are typically around uh, 15 to 18 pages. 18 pages being the longer ones that you guys are shifting in your seat. 15 is still long. Uh, I have just, there's so much to say. It's really hard. And when you get to a singular topic like we're going to cover today, it is very difficult to just skip through it. Uh, it's very important. This would be easier to do just at Ellerslie. For our students, when we have a two-hour block with a break in the middle, this is a far better message for that environment. However, this is needed for the Church of Jesus Christ today. This is a tripping point for the Church of Jesus Christ, and as a result, I'm responsible to attempt to bring clarity to it. But, again, it's a bigger issue than me. We need God to help bring clarity to it. And thank you, Jesus, for the Word of God. What would we do if this was just my philosophies that I came up to give? We have the Word of God to bring clarity and shine light on how we are to live and what we are to believe. Mind your own business. You know what I forgot to bring today? I was going to bring Hudson's summer spot. Remember, I mentioned that a few weeks ago. But it's this little log, uh, and it used to have some uh, blue chalk on it. Uh, that you know, and he, Hudson made the declaration that because uh, I had accidentally moved it because we had some visitors coming over. It was just sitting on our porch, a log. So I moved it to the side of the house, and Hudson said, "Where's my summer spot? You moved my summer spot." I go, "What's your summer spot?" And he goes, it's that log with blue you know, uh, chalk on it. And I go, what? okay, it's your summer spot? And he goes, yeah, it's my summer spot. I sit on it, and I mind my own business. Uh, and so I, a lot of us Ellerslie students and staff have been referencing this quite a bit, that more of us need to be sitting on our summer spot and minding our own business, okay? And the opposite of that is the classic illustration of the Bible of the busybody. The one who has their nose in everyone else's business and forgets to take care of their business. Okay, now this is, uh, this is a message about minding your own business and minding it well. Okay, so let's just get going on this. Uh, there's a word in Christianity that we could call judgmentalism. I don't know if any of you have ever been accused of being judgmental. I don't know how many of you want to be accused of being judgmental. That is just a dirty word. Okay, there's nothing... Nice sounding about it whatsoever. And as a result, we've come to a conclusion in Christianity, especially the modern version of it, that judgmentalism or anything judgmental is by nature evil. I am going to dispel that notion today. However, I would be in perfect step by saying I don't want to be judgmental in the sense that it's being used today. Okay, which is basically to... 
bring a condemnation or an accusation against people, and it's none of your business. You don't know what's going on in their soul, yet you are leveling a judgment against them. Okay, that's not necessarily the healthiest behavior. But what I want to do is I want to walk through the biblical understanding of this word and this concept of judgment. Because it is important. And first of all, let's, let's just get a scripture out on the table that is the obvious scripture that most people quote when they start dealing with judging. Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you shall be judged. Okay, there's a lot of the word judge in that one sentence here, or two sentences. And I'm in perfect agreement with this statement. By the way, Jesus said it. I'm not about to contradict it. I'm not going to try and reason our way out of it. He said it. He meant it. So, Church of Jesus Christ, judge not that you be not judged. I originally, in, in this message, in my you know, 40-page version of it, had all sorts of interesting quotes that come out of this when people misapply this. And you have, basically, in the end, an empty hell and a full heaven. No one actually will be judged because God himself will not judge. He will ultimately accept everyone because his love overrules his judgment. Okay, Now that is a farce at the highest levels because that is basically taking away his justice and the fact that he is a righteous God and that justice must be satisfied, which is why the cross is so critical. But the cross is the symbol of mercy, not an empty hell. I mentioned that a couple of weeks ago, but just I'll push on that point again. It's not an empty hell since we have a... You know, the book by Rob Bell floating around out there. That it's a statement of God's love. No, the cross is a statement of God's love. Look to the cross. That is your salvation. Okay, so we have this idea of judging. But we have this notion that is floated around throughout Christianity today, which says we are not supposed to touch it. I would like you to know that if we removed all judgment from society, our society would fall apart in a day. Okay, the fact that we have judgment... For instance, say, say my child, we'll use Hudson, uh, disobeys. And if there is not a judge in the Ludi home, you know, Hudson could do whatever he wants. And he could look at daddy and go, judge not, lest ye be judged, daddy. <laughs> See, daddy is responsible in the home to bring clarity, to arbitrate in, when situations are at odds, to find truth and to bring a correct disciplinary measure and to bring Judgment, okay, which is basically punishment for wrong behavior, okay? I'm responsible for that. If, I'm, if I don't do that, I'm being negligent in my own home, okay? How about in the church of Jesus Christ today? Judgment is almost completely gone from the church of Jesus Christ. You know that there's actually a judgment process in the church of Jesus Christ? We'll go through that in just a bit. How about in civil government? Could you imagine removing judgment from civil government? People could do whatever they want, and there would be no consequence for it. We have judges in place. We have a penal system in place to preserve the integrity and the order of society. So, without judgment, you don't have society. It doesn't work. It literally falls apart in a day. So judgment is important, but at the same time, I just told you, I agree with this statement. Judge not that you be not judged. Okay, so let's walk through this issue. The making of a heavenly judge. What you're going to see is, you're going to see somewhat of a pattern. You just saw the beginning of this verse. Judge not, lest ye be judged. Now, let's read the next portion, which is, And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? 
Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your own eye, your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite! First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Contextually, what we're dealing with here is we got a problem. We got a guy with a plank in his own eye, and he's attempting to judge someone else and remove the speck from theirs. However, what you see here is that there is a way of helping someone remove a speck from their eye, and that is first, you remove the plank from yours, and then you will see clearly. Okay, so that's the context for that statement. The word that we're going to sort of unpack today is krino, which means to decide with governing authority, to oversee and arbitrate what is truth and what is error, to bring finality of judgment, to determine punishment and sentence based on revealed evidence. This is a very common thing in the proper order of society, in the proper order of church, in the proper order of any business, in the proper order of any family, any home. If you do not have crino, you have chaos. It's called anarchy. Okay? Everyone rules themselves by their own rules, by their own wishes, their whims and desires, which is basically the flesh. Okay? And suddenly society stops working and it turns into a disaster. The word we typically translate this as in our Bibles is judge. Okay? So to decide with governing authority. That's a judge. To oversee and arbitrate what is truth and what is error. This is truth. This is error. How would we know that? How would we know what truth and error is? The word of God. So a true judge, true crino, as God has defined it, flows out of the word of God. And those that know the word of God remove a plank from their eye so they can see clearly to be able to arbitrate and help make decisions for others. To bring finality of judgment, to determine punishment and sentence based on revealed evidence. That's our word, crino. So you might as well just get used to it here as we get going. Because look at this. Matthew 7, this is the verse I introduced you to in the beginning, which said, judge not that you be not judged. Okay, so now we, I'm going to stick crino in there because that's what the Greek word is. Crino not that you be not crinoed. I added the ed to the end just to help us out. For with what crema, which means the sentence of con- condemnation, you crino, you shall be crinoed. Do you want me to read that again? Because that's a really fun sentence. Crino not that you be not crinoed. For with what you crema, you crino, you shall be crinoed. I don't know if I've even read it correctly, but that still was fun. <laughs> Grammatical variations of tense and voice. Okay, I'm just going to add a, this is the liberty of Eric to help teach this message. We have the word crino, and then crinoine, and crinode, and crinos. Okay, so you're going to see all these different variations. This is my addition. Just so you know, this is my addition, because if you don't add it, it doesn't flow. Okay, I did one other message. I don't remember which one it was, but I didn't do this to it, and it was chaos. Okay, so I'm adding some little verb tenses and voices to it to, to help us along here. Strangely, it appears that we are to judge. I haven't given you any verses to support this, but here's what I'm going to say. The Bible clearly states that we are not to judge. And yet, it also clearly states that we are to judge. Uh, is God, you know, schizophrenic here? You know, there's all sorts of illustrations of this in the Bible. You're not supposed to be anxious for anything. You're not supposed to have care for anything. Oh, well, yeah, nothing but. And then God gives us a little short list of what we're supposed to have a care for. We're supposed to have a care for his glory. We're supposed to have a care for the needs of the saints around us. However, he says... Have care for nothing. So there's these blanket seeming, blanket statements that are made in the Bible, and yet 
in the context, if you understand them, they are speaking of one very specific kind of judging. In this case, that's exactly what it is. There is a very, very bad form of judging, and there's a very, very right heavenly form of it. So we need to discern between the two. So strangely, it appears that we are to judge. Jesus declared to Israel, I crino. What? Jesus, what are you doing? You're doing this? You're judging? How dare you? We're not supposed to do that. You just said that in Matthew 7 that we're not supposed to do that, and now you're doing it? I crino, and my judgment is just. Jesus said to his apostles that they also shall crino. Oh, how's that supposed to work? We're not supposed to be doing this. Jesus said to his apostles that they will sit on thrones crinoing. Jesus commands those of Israel to crino with righteous judgment. The apostle James declared that he crinoed. How dare he do such a thing? The apostles and elders which were at Jerusalem crinoed. What? I I thought we were standing on some solid rock here that we could respect the apostles. Can you believe they crinoed? The apostle Paul declared that he crinoed and that he has crinoed. Doesn't it sound like everyone's getting up and confessing? Yeah, I've done it too. This is actually a statement and they didn't blush when they said it. They judge. What? How could they? The Apostle Paul declared to the church in Corinth that they are to crino them that are within, within the body, at Corinth, and that the saints shall crino the world, and that if the world shall be crinoed by the saints, then are the saints unworthy to judge the smallest matters? And if the saints shall crino angels, how much more the things that pertain to this life? And then Paul exhorts them to crino the things he said. That's how he finishes that statement. After crino, crino, crino. Hey, judge the things I'm saying to you. But, but Paul, Jesus said, do not judge. You follow me? We aren't supposed to judge, but we are. Ah. It's because there's a wrong way to judge and there's a right way to judge. The right to fair trials, this sounds like the United States uh, coming out. You're going to notice that our American government, the way it used to be, in in its glory, uh, in its heyday, was built on many of these premises, okay? The right to a fair trial, where does that come from? Listen to Nicodemus as he's reasoning with the, the priests, does our law crino any man? Does it judge any man before it hear him and know what he does? In other words, we got God's law. And God's law is, makes it clear that there must be an evaluation season. You don't just come in and bring judgment. You must allow it to be heard and to be seen in by what nature this is. So therefore, we do not crino before there's been a fair assessment, or in our case, a fair trial. Okay, now let's build on that. The works of the devil were made manifest. Okay, so we have, and I haven't built on this yet, but Jesus came to this earth. Now Jesus, as you will soon see, is the ultimate crino. I mean, he judges. In the end, he judges. And he is the ultimate judge, the judge of judges. Okay? He is the word of God, the final arbiter of all things. Yet when he came to this earth... He didn't come to judge the world, if you remember the scripture, but to save it. So he didn't come as a judge. However, let's get something straight here. He did come to judge something. Because at that time at the cross, 
Did you know that a fair trial had already been given to a few very specific things? First, the devil. The devil had had his fair trial. We'd heard what he has to say. His motive had been revealed. And time for judgment had come. So yes, Jesus didn't come to judge you. But he came to judge something. So the works of the devil were made manifest. Jesus came to earth to crino the devil and his works. He that commits sin is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Jesus came to bring judgment to that devil. Not to you, but he did come to bring judgment. What else did he come to bring judgment to? The works of sin and the flesh were also made manifest. They were exposed. What did the law do in the Old Testament? It exposed sin. It exposed the power of the flesh. Why? So the fair trial could be brought. Now judgment could come. In the form of Jesus Christ, he came to judge sin and the flesh. And in the process, by the way, follow me, save you. Jesus came to earth to crino the old man and the power of sin. So you can't argue these things. So even though we can make the statement, because it's biblical, Jesus did not come to judge. He came to save. But, follow me here, he did come to judge in order that he might save. Listen to this in Romans 7. Therefore the law is holy. So the law was given in the Old Testament, and it was given to bring clarity to something. Because it said, you must keep the law. To bear perfect righteousness and to enter into the presence of God, you must keep the law perfectly. Well, what did the law show? We can't keep it perfectly. Why? Because of the power of sin. And because of the control of the flesh over our lives. Well, guess what? That's why God brought it. It's not that the law was bad. What the law did was it exposed the problem. It brought it to the surface and said, guilty! Guilty! And what did Jesus come and do? Judge it! He came to bring condemnation to sin and the flesh. How dare it remain any longer? Why? Why did he do this? To save you. He did this to save you. When Jesus judges, he's saving. When someone is truly judging after the spirit pattern, they are doing it to rescue others. That's why we judge. And when we are judging correctly, that is always the fruit. It's saving work. So listen to this. Therefore the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. Has then what is good become death to me? Certainly not. But sin, that it might appear sin, was producing death in me through what is good. So that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. It's been exposed. The law was given that sin might become exceedingly sinful. That it might be exposed as the problem that it is. And then Jesus could bring judgment to it. The first judgment, the cross. That was a judgment day of sorts. But it wasn't your judgment day. It was the devil's judgment day. It was sin in the flesh. They were judged. They were condemned. Now is the judgment of this world. Now, if I was going to give you context, this seems to be the very launch point of Jesus' ministry. The Greeks come up to Andrew, and Andrew comes to Jesus, and something seems to trigger 
inside of Jesus. And he's like, aha, it started. And what does Jesus say? He says, now is the judgment of this world. What? Does that fit with all the other things I'm saying? Jesus came to save. Well, follow me here. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. What's he talking about? He's talking about judgment, which he came to do. How did he do it? And if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying what death he should die. Where was that judgment? It was the cross. He came to cast out the devil. Okay, this is what he's referring to. However, as you read on here, as we go through our notes, it's also going to say that he did not come to judge, but he did. So that's why I'm saying we have to distinguish between the wrong form of judging and the right form, and also why Jesus came and what his comings are about, the two-tiered work of Jesus. First coming, listen to this, this is very important, so I want you to focus. The first coming, to save that which was lost and to judge the devil's sin and the flesh. So that, that was his first coming, to save. That's what he came to do. But to save, he had to bring judgment on the devil, sin, and the flesh. That's how he saves Anyone who knows the gospel knows this. So judgment was a part of the cross. But it wasn't your judgment. It was the devil's sins and the flesh. Second coming, to judge that which opposes the Savior. Boy, I tell you what, you don't want to be on the wrong side of this one. Okay, The way the devil got manhandled at the cross is the same way we, any of us that would be outside of Jesus Christ at that second coming, will be condemned. You don't mess with the judge. When he comes, his work is effective. He has come to bring judgment. And he has already defined that this season of life is a season to save. He is after the lost. But there is a day in the future where he will come in judgment. And if you have not found your salvation in Jesus Christ, yikes. That, to judge that which opposes the Savior... To save that which is born of faith. Even his final judgment, what's he doing? He's saving us. He's rescuing us out. He's saying, and the rest of it, out of my presence. But if you are found in Jesus Christ, it's a rescue. That second judgment is not something to fear. The first coming. So let's unpack the first coming a little more because that's the one that affects us immediately right now. It's to offer rescue. It's to extend the love and mercies of God toward the world and to bring judgment on the devil, sin, and the flesh. For God sent not his son into the world to crino the world. So God did not send his son to crino the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Okay, now there's actually a lot of scriptures on this. I had to do some deep cuts on this message so I could just go off on a whole bunch of great scriptures on this. But you're gonna, that's going to have to satisfy you. That Jesus did not come to judge the world. But that the world through him might be saved. The prince of this world is crenoed. That's a, that's a declaration. Jesus Christ is literally making it clear. The prince of this world is judged. God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. What did he do? condemned sin in the flesh. Can you believe how harsh that sounds? 
You know, we're like, how condemning. That's a judgmental message. What did Jesus do? He condemned sin in the flesh. This guy means business. He has a job to do, and that's to rescue you. And unless he is forceful in his judging, you are not saved. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed. You know what Jesus did with the body of sin? He didn't just pat it on the back and say, could you leave, please? He destroyed it. That's what he did on the cross. Obliterated it. It cannot stand before his fiery judgment. He came, didn't just knock it in the teeth. He destroyed it. That's the judgment of Jesus. Aren't you glad we fall on the right side of this one? He has every reason to judge us, but he didn't. When he came to this earth, he could have easily judged us as the perpetrators. But in a sense, he's given us the right to a fair trial. And he says, prove to me. Here's the offering. Here's salvation. Respond. And if we respond to that salvation correctly, his judgment will pass us over and we will be saved. That henceforth we should not serve sin. The second coming, to judge in righteousness, to bring penal justice to the earth, to bring salvation to those who believe in the Son. There's a statement in in Scripture you'll notice that God is always talking about a day to come. There is a day, there is a day, there is a day. Over and over, if you study this, it's extremely fascinating. It's called the judgment day. Because he hath appointed a day in which he will creno the world in righteousness, By that man whom he hath ordained. Who did he ordain? Jesus. Whereof he has given assurance unto all men in that he raised him from the dead. In the day when God shall creno the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. So how does this affect us? Therefore creno nothing before the time. So there's a time out there. When God will crino the earth, he will bring judgment, and that judgment will land on men and women. Not just the devil, not just sin, and not just the old man inside of you. But he will come, and that judgment will rest upon those of us that have not believed, and that have not found their assurance and their confidence and their hope and their salvation in the person of Jesus Christ and in his cross work. That will happen. But listen to this. 1 Corinthians 4 says, Therefore, creno nothing, or judge nothing, before the time. Isn't that interesting? In other words, this is an issue of eternal destination. Do not try and bring that judgment. That belongs to Jesus. Okay? To define where people are going to go eternally. This isn't your business. Therefore, creno nothing before the time until the Lord come who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts. And then shall every man have praise of God. An improper crenoing. So there's a judging. You already know that there's a proper judging. We just haven't gone into what it is. And you know that there's a bad judging. We just haven't gone into what it is. You just hopefully by this time in the message know that there's a negative way of doing it and there's a positive way. Or we could say it this way, a fleshly way of judging and a spirit way of judging. A dark way of judging, a light way of judging. So an improper crinoing. Listen to Jesus. 
He says, you crino after the flesh. What was his complaint? You're crinoing wrong. You're crinoing after the flesh. And if I was going to say why we are basically prohibited from crinoing is because it's an improper crino. It's a judgment of the flesh. It is not a judgment of the spirit. Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that crinos. For wherein thou crinos, another, thou condemns thyself. For thou that crinos does the same things. And think thou this, O man, that crinos them which do such things, and does the same. That thou, that, that thou shalt escape the crema, or the sentence of, sentence of condemnation of God. Do you actually think you can escape the crema of God? The condemnation of God in the future? If you are literally bringing judgment on others, and you are doing the same thing. Do you remember what it says in Matthew? First, take the plank out of your eye so that you can see clearly to remove the speck from someone else's. Removing the speck, by the way, is judging. What God is against is someone judging inappropriately with a plank in their eye. Hypocrisy. Got to be kidding me. That's not based in truth. Let the truth reign inside of you and then let the truth flow out of you. Remove the plank. The plank-eyed and the speckless. And why do you, brother, look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye? And look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite! First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not judge improperly. First, allow the gospel to do its work in you, to remove the plank. See, Jesus has brought judgment on something in you, sin and the flesh. Allow the judgment of God to be at work in you, that he would cleanse you of your problem, your, get this, plank. Because as long as you are living in the flesh, who are you to judge someone else in the flesh? Got to be kidding. It doesn't work that way. You must be freed from the control of the old man, the control of the flesh, the power of sin, in order to be able to help someone else who is still caught in it. It only makes sense. Jurisdiction. Sorry to give you such a big word here. This is a good legal term. I used to teach constitutional law, and this is one of the most important words in understanding government. Jurisdiction. The five key places where crinoing is both used and, unfortunately, abused. Jurisdiction is any ruling, deciding, judging territory. Okay? It's a territory. It's marked out. You can almost picture a fence. And a fence would be the jurisdictional line. Okay? So say in the Ludi home, there's a fence around the Ludi home. Okay? And that's called the Ludi family. And in that jurisdiction, I, and Leslie as well, have been put in charge. To do what? Well, to rule. But get this. To judge. I'm actually responsible to judge within that framework. Did you know that there's actually a fence around my own body, my own mind, my own life? It's called the jurisdiction, and it's called the life of Eric Ludy. Guess who's responsible to be in, in charge and, and handle this body? I know you could say, well, Jesus is. Well, that's right. He's, he's purchased this, but did you know that he's actually put me as an outflow of his jurisdictional control over this life? He says, now you! Let not sin therefore reign in this body, Eric. I'm responsible to rule and to judge in accordance with the word of God in this body. Okay, how about in this church? 
You know, if there's this ruling domain in this church, it's like a fenced-in area. You know, if the government has fenced-in areas and they're not supposed to get, go across that fence and meddle inside of your fence, I know that might be shocking uh, today, but the government is supposed to be restrained to its jurisdiction. They're not supposed to rule in the issues of my own home. Okay, unless my own home's issues transgresses and gets inside of their fenced territory. In other words, I start beating someone in my family. Well, guess what? That then becomes an issue for someone else's jurisdiction because I'm abusing my own. Does that make sense? But liberty basically means hands off from my jurisdiction as long as I live within the framework of law. As long as I live properly within my fence, you keep your hands out of it. Jurisdiction. There's a jurisdiction of self, or we could call it the territory of your own soul. There's a jurisdiction of family, the territory of your own home. There's a jurisdiction of business, the territory of your own work responsibility. Territory of church, the territory of a, or I'm sorry, the jurisdiction of church, the territory of a flock of believers. And then there's civil territory, civil jurisdiction, the territory of earthly governmental rule. It's impossible to argue these things unless you don't understand uh, how life works, but there are territories of jurisdictional authority. And if someone else comes in and violates these jurisdictional territories, something's wrong. And it is truly a violation. Jurisdiction must be respected. Now, the reason I'm giving you this is not to just try and sound intelligent, okay? The reason I'm giving you this is to understand how judging works. Because judging is based on jurisdiction. If you don't have any right to get inside of someone else's fence, and you're like, hey, you know, say my family, for instance. Hudson misbehaves. And you, you know, drive 20 miles, come to my house, and bend him over your knee and spank him. Just because, you know what, you didn't appreciate that behavior. You know what, that would be a violation of my jurisdiction, and it would also be a violation of Hudson's. You, You don't have that position now. Follow me. If I bequeathed that jurisdiction to you, say like to a nanny that was watching over our kids, and I said, if Hudson acts up, this is what you have the freedom to do. Does that make sense? Then, in that situation, you would actually have jurisdictional right to punish. Okay? Jurisdictions must be respected. We, however, will not boast beyond measure. This is Paul speaking. And I'm merely just showing you that he understood jurisdiction. But within the limits of the sphere is what the term says uh, in Corinthians, which is jurisdiction, which God appointed us. In other words, Paul is talking about something, talking about this church of Corinth, and he's saying we will not boast beyond measure, but within the limits of the sphere which God has appointed us. A sphere, or a jurisdiction, which especially includes you. For we are not overextending ourselves as though our authority did not extend to you. For it was to you that we came with the gospel of Christ. Paul's saying, you're in our jurisdiction. It's okay for us to do this. We're not overextending ourselves. So, this is just a quick list for you to consider. A child should not attempt to rule, decide, and bring authoritative decision upon his parents. Wouldn't that be a little awkward? You know, if a child was basically saying, hey, mom and dad, you're in my jurisdictional territory, and bring judgment and clarity and punishment to his parents. It's not a child's position. A child needs to be quiet and submit. Okay, now I am going to talk about what if these authorities abuse their position. Okay, but as a matter of principle and law, that is how it works. 
A parent should not attempt to rule, decide, and bring authoritative decision on someone else's child. That's inappropriate. Have you ever had it where when you were growing up, another parent disciplined you? Or they yelled at you and corrected you, and it's just like you started crying because something was wrong about it. They were enforcing something or bringing judgment on your territory, on something that belongs to your parents. It's their job to judge you and to punish you, not that guy. Okay, I had a situation like that growing up, and it was very hard for me to swallow. I had no idea. I, I misbehaved. But there was something inappropriate about that man doing that to me. And it just bothered me to no end. It's like I, ugh, I was really struggling with anger over it. Who is he? You see, we know who our parents are. And we know that, yes, they are our parents. That's not my parents. Okay? The civil government shouldn't spank a child for not cleaning his room. Okay? Does that just make sense, right? <clears throat> Wish it made more sense back in Washington. The civil government should not dictate to a soul what it should believe. Uh, you can't tell a soul what to believe. Even a church can't command a soul to believe a certain thing. It can appeal to the word of God. The word of God has the jurisdiction over that soul. But for behavior in the church, the church has jurisdiction to keep this environment orderly. Peaceful, clean, without mark. Okay, that's the jurisdiction that we have in the church. The civil government should not intervene in church discipline or home discipline. A business government should not interfere in the issues of church or government or family. It just makes sense because they're not, it's not the proper jurisdiction. Hudson Summerspot, mind your own business. So, since I mentioned it in the beginning, there's not really any reason to go into any great depth in it here. But there's some great wisdom in this, that my son is going out and sitting on our back porch and minding his own business, which means he's minding his own jurisdictional territory, which what is his jurisdictional territory, if I were to ask? It's his own soul. He doesn't have a lot of jurisdictional territory. He's a little six and a half year old, right? So he doesn't have a lot of position in this earth for judging. He has his own soul to maintain and to take care of. And right now, that's plenty for him. Believe me. Okay? So, he's minding his own business. There's a lot of other business going on in this earth. But it's not his. Okay? His responsibility is first and foremost to mind his own business. And so he sits on his summer spot to do it. The secret to minding your own business well. First, define what your business is. Or we could call this your judging business territory. We could call it crino territory too. But it's interesting, but you have a crino territory. You see, when you're first born and you're an infant, you don't have a crino territory. You don't have a judging territory. Your parents make every decision for you. And I'm going to you know, sort of show you my hand a little on this when it comes to parenting. But when a new child is born and a parent gives them judging territory, to say anything you want in this home, little baby, you just scream your head off, okay? Which is a certain type of parenting model that is heavily promoted today. In other words, the child rules the home. Whatever the child wants, whenever the child's hungry, whenever the child's sleepy, instead of the parent saying, okay, little one, I love you too much to allow you to have a judging territory. So I'm going to allow you into my judging territory and I'm going to begin to make a system of behavior, a pattern of eating and sleeping during the day so that you can feel secure. 
And as that child begins to grow up, guess what? You begin to bequeath to them, out of your judging territory, a judging territory. And say, you know what? You have this little area. It's known as your crib. You have this little area. It's known as your room. You're beginning to bequeath to them responsibility. But they still have to be under your supervision because you don't trust them, which is why you bring in people called babysitters when you leave. They are not responsible enough with that territory to handle it without supervision. But as they grow up, they graduate into something known as adulthood, which means a parent is releasing them onto their own judging territory. Now they're no longer under the direct jurisdictional rule of the parent. But that child actually is now under the direct jurisdictional rule of God Almighty and the Word of God. I am setting you free to go under God, not to just be a renegade, but to go under God and to follow and to heed Him. And that's, of course, maturity. And as a parent, our desire is to see that child learn to cultivate a healthy judging territory. So the secret to minding your own business, well, first define what your business is. So what is your judging territory? Your first order of business is your own personal rescue in Jesus. This is going to sound a little selfish at first. You know, sort of like, you know, there's all sorts of crisis and calamity and terrible things taking place in this earth, and you're going to say, I'm supposed to focus on me? You see, if you don't get the plank out of your eye, you are useless to help anyone else in their business. Believe me. You have a plank. It's known as sin. It's known as the old man and flesh. You've been controlled by the devil. Jesus has brought judgment to those things so that you could be free to actually grow in your judging territory. But your first business is you need to be free. You need to be found in Jesus Christ. So make a firm judgment on Jesus Christ and him crucified. So you have a little judging territory. Okay? And as you're growing up, you begin to realize that you can make decisions. Not decisions for how your home is going to run. Not decisions for where the family vacation is going to be. Not decisions for what color cup you get to use to drink your Kool-Aid. You have decisions in your own soul. And guess what that decision is? I choose Jesus. His cross is my salvation. His work was my work. It's what I need. That's your judgment. That's your little territory. First, you do that. If you can't do that, you're not fit to do anything else. So make a firm judgment on Jesus Christ and him crucified. This is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he hath sent. That's the work. God's saying, okay, I have an assignment for you. Okay, God, give me your assignment. Do you want me to turn China on its head for Jesus? He goes, no, 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 no. You're getting a little too big for your britches here, buddy. I want you to believe on him whom he hath sent. What, 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 what? Jesus. <laughs> believe him. But what about China? Hey, hey, mind your own business here, buddy. If you don't get this right, China is not going to be changed anyways. You get in your summer spot and believe on Jesus Christ. Mind this business and mind it well, and then we'll talk China later. But most of us are skipping over the most basic things. We must be rooted in Jesus Christ. We must be found in Jesus Christ. We must win Jesus Christ. We need Jesus Christ. Your second order of business, your own plank. See, plank isn't as juicy and as ugly a word as the flesh. That's just disgusting, the flesh. I mean, you have to spit a little even when you say it. Plank, 
You don't have to spit. It does have a P in the beginning, but you can sort of monitor that. Uh, your own plank. You are to make a firm judgment on the Word of God and its judgments concerning the devil, sin, and the flesh. You know how few Christians have done this? They believe in Jesus, but they have not made a firm judgment on what the Bible says regarding the devil, regarding sin, and regarding the old man. They're still controlled by it. They've never minded their own business. You have a job to do. Deal with the plank in your eye so that you can see clearly to remove the speck from everyone else's. Let's get your business in order. First, and you'll recognize this, all the Ellerslie students will recognize this, you must get your judgment correct on the Word of God. Because if you don't have your judgment correct on the Word of God, by the way, you can't even believe in Jesus Christ. You'll believe it in some other character out there, some mythical character named Jesus. But it's not Jesus. You're supposed to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how you're saved. Well, you better know who he is. If you're going to know who he is, you need to know the word of God. You make a firm judgment on who, what the word of God is. Can God lie? No, you say? Make a judgment on that matter. Because the word of God makes it clear that God cannot lie. The scriptures over and over and over again, he cannot lie. It, he is not able in his even nature to do it. He is not a man that he should do it. He cannot lie. So is the word of God the word of God? Or is it just sort of the writings and ramblings of good men? Well, the word of God it says says it's the word of God. And so if it is the word of God and God cannot lie, that means the word of God cannot lie. You need a rock underneath your feet and you need to make a firm judgment on this fact. Build your life upon it. Don't deal with all the messes in this earth. There's all sorts of catastrophes. There's all sorts of needs. I know. Believe me. It it eats at my soul too. But if we don't deal with the plank in our eye, we will be ill-suited to help anyone. We must bring judgment in our soul on the devil, on sin, and the old man. He brought the judgment. We must reckon it and take it. So God cannot lie, therefore his word cannot lie. Well, what does his word declare? Which cannot lie? His word declares judgment on the devil's sin in the flesh. The prince of this world is judged. Jesus condemned sin in the flesh and crucified our old man with him on the cross that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Therefore, let not sin reign in your mortal body that you would obey it in the lusts thereof. That is Christianity 101. And yet this is some philosophical uh, impossibility for most Christians today. So, oh, no, you can't have that. You don't believe the word of God is your issue. You believe the word of God and you bring judgment in that soul of yours. You have a little judging territory. Use it. Agree with the word of God. Stand on it. Make decision within your own body. Third, the speckless life, or the life that doesn't just have a plank, but is actually clothed in the speckless nature of God, the speckless life is merely the outflow of allowing God to remove the planks. When the planks are removed, your life is purified. Your life is clothed and garmented in His righteousness. Then what flows out of you is an ever-increasing measure of Him, His love, His goodness, His grace, His purity. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Well, remove the speck and do good. I'm sorry, remove the plank and do good. Turn from that evil. 
That evil that has been controlling you, it actually has no more power over you. Reckon that as a fact. Take it. Stick it in your spiritual pocket. Believe it. And then we have this statement. This is what scripture says. We are to test all things. Hold fast what is good. How are we supposed to test all things? Against the word of God. You see, you are removing the plank and you're bringing judgment on that which God has brought judgment on. Do you know what the word of God makes it very clear? Where the devil is, what sin is, and how the flesh operates. And it has a big, you know, shining arrow towards it saying, you see this? Don't accept it. Bring decision against it in your life. This is our summer spot. We do not accept these things. So it says, judge not. But we are to judge. We are to judge what Jesus has already judged. It's already judged. So let's stand in decision in agreement with our God. This cannot rule in the church of Jesus Christ. This cannot rule in my family. This cannot rule in my marriage. This cannot rule in my body. Well, guess what? You're judging. But it's the right form of judging. It's a judging that flows out of the authority of Scripture and is bequeathed to the individual soul. Now, I'm not saying you have any judging territory beyond that yet. But that's your judging territory that I want you to begin to stand in. Test all things, hold fast what is good. Take heed to, that no one deceives you. That means deception is a possibility. How are you supposed to stand and take heed? You stand in the word of God. You stand in agreement with the word of God. What it says is true. You're making a judgment, by the way, when you say that. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. Isn't that interesting? This is what happens in the church. Now, we don't typically have two or three prophets speaking. We're still trying to figure that one out. But it literally says, let the others judge. We are supposed to test everything that is spoken in the house of God. Everything, which includes this message. Test it. If it doesn't align with the word of God, you bring judgment against it. That doesn't mean you have to be rude. doesn't mean you have to come up and punch me in the nose. You mind your own summer spot and you say, that doesn't match with the word of God. Now, you want to be watchful of your soul to make sure you're in context with the word of God, and you rightly handle the word of God, but you test it all. Let two or three prophets speak and let, other, let the others judge. They search the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. I know your works. You have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. Well, how are you finding someone a liar and testing something if you're not bringing any judgment to the table? That's what judgment is. But this is a healthy form of it. To protect and preserve that which is your judging territory. If something comes knocking on the looty door and says, Hey, I'd like to come in. I have something to sell to you. I'm like, hmm. Uh, I peek my head out. What are you trying to sell? Well, these little bubbly concoctions. You know, I'm like, huh? I'm like looking out on the side. It says poison. You know, and I'm like, um, sorry. But, you know, it's written in Latin. That's why the guy didn't think I'd know. But I've been studying my Latin. Okay, it's like studying the word of God. It's like when they come to the door, you look at it like, huh, that's poison. Slam. I have made judgment on what the peddler has brought. And I refuse to accept it. And you could say, judge not, Eric, lest ye be judged. However, this is a plankless judging. This is a judging that is seen clearly because I'm seeing the word of God and standing upon it firmly. And I'm not judging the man. I'm judging what he's bringing by the way, in that situation. 
Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. There's all sorts of peddlers with poison out there. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? I want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil. The third order of business, to seek to save. So the first order of business was to get in Jesus. (laughs) You need to be rescued by Jesus. The second order of business was to build your judging on the word of God and to bring judgment effectively to what he judged. Devil, sin, and the flesh. Hey, this is what you need to do. Exercise your judging territory. Stand fast on the word of God. What's the third? What did Jesus come to do? He didn't come to judge the world. He came to save it. What are you called to do? Not to judge the world, but to save it. However, in the process of saving it, did you know that you will be judging? I know that sounds extremely strange. What are you judging? Your own soul. That you would be above reproach. How in the world are you supposed to save anyone if they look at you and you're a hypocrite? You stand in the truth of Jesus Christ in your judging territory and you say, this will not remain here. Out! And you bring punishment to that behavior. Kick it in the teeth! It cannot remain inside. You follow me? How in the world can the church of Jesus Christ make any impact if all of us have marriages that are falling apart and the men are not being men and acting properly as the head in their home or as the judge? How in the world, if all our families are gathering into churches and we're all wrecks, how in the world can we make any impact out there? We must deal with our judging territories effectively, and that is how the world will be changed. But why are we judging? Why am I judging my own soul? Not just that my own soul would be saved, that's one of the reasons, but that others around me might see, might have specks removed from their eyes. Why do I care about my marriage shining forth the kingdom of heaven on earth? That others may know that they may be saved. So why must I be a judge in my family and bring right discipline, loving discipline to my children? That others may see and be saved. It's not just so that I can have comfort in my life. It's the hardest way to live. It's a lot easier to let your kids go berserk. There's some serious consequences to that, which will make your life a lot more difficult along the way. But any parent in here knows that it is hard business to run a tight ship. It's hard. And guess what? I do it for the principle of saving their souls and for saving others. Because we are a beacon unto this world of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. So third, seek to save. Just like Jesus, your first business is not to judge. It is to seek to save. And even if you are saving, if you are in in your saving, let me read this again. And even if in your saving rescue work, you are given greater judging territory, still your primary job is to seek to save even through your judging. Now you'll notice, all I've talked about so far is your personal judging territory. And you're like, well, so it seems that you mentioned some other things, some other jurisdictions. You had self, and then there was uh, marriage, family, and then there's business, and then there's church, and then there's civil government. Well, how does anyone get those positions? That's an interesting question, which I am going to address. But I want you to realize, what I'm saying here is, say you are handling your own body well, and you are bringing proper judgment in this judging territory. You know what will be noticed by those around you? Huh. That's the sort of person 
that should be in charge of a greater judging territory. Why, why would you choose someone that's handling their body well? Because if they can handle their body well, they can handle something greater well. Well, that's just the, that's logic, by the way, but that's actually the principle of Scripture, too. That's how God looks at us. He's not going to give us anything. If we don't handle our own soul well, he's not giving us the church of Jesus Christ. So when someone who is not handling their soul well is in charge of the church of Jesus Christ, I can guarantee you it wasn't God that put them there. Hmm. That's quite the statement. And even if in your saving rescue work you are given greater judging territory, still your primary job is to seek to save even through your judging. When I'm judging my children, it's a terrible sounding word, I don't call it that, but when I'm disciplining my children, I'm correcting my children, I'm bringing judgment in a situation, final decision. Am I doing it to hurt my children? Am I doing it because I'm sick and tired, I just want to kick them and make them feel something? No, I'm doing it because I love them. You see, I'm interested in saving them. I'm interested in seeing them wrenched away from that foolishness. Wrenched away from that sin. To have the old man exposed within. Do you see that? That is not the behavior of Jesus. Do you see that? Yes, I see it. This is what effective judging does. Is it seeks to save. Jesus effectively brought judgment. And in the process, saved us. He judged the devil. He judged sin. And he judged the flesh. And in the process, he saved us out of it. How will you know when to judge? How to recognize your judging territory and how not to judge outside of it? First, let's more closely examine what makes certain kinds of judging so wrong. Two key issues that, if off, make for a disaster in your own soul and the souls of others. Number one, it is not your place to bring decision into wreck and punishment. If you were judging outside of your territory, I mean, it's a disaster for you and for them. Whatever it is, you have no business. That isn't your jurisdiction. Get out of it. Stay out of it. Judge not lest you be judged. How dare you? That isn't your business. Stay true to your business. Sit on your summer spot. Okay, that's one of the reasons. Okay, <laughs> Hudson was really cute. I think it was yesterday. He really wants Josh Kinnebrew to come over and have a play date. Um, and uh, it's, it's really precious. And uh, he wants to call Josh and set it up. And we keep telling him, basically, that's not your jurisdiction, okay? The way that a play date is set up is that the parents call someone else, Josh in this case, and say, Josh, are you available? And Josh gives us his schedule, and we say, okay, can we work this out somehow? Okay, in other words, it isn't Hudson's jurisdiction to be setting up play dates, okay? Now, that's a very minor and unoffensive thing. You follow me? However, it's a symbol of saying, you know, you're not supposed to be bringing decision outside of your jurisdiction. It could create great problems, okay? And that's just a symbol of it. That's not your business. That's not your territory. Leave that to the people that are in charge of that territory. Two, it is born of the flesh and not of the spirit of love, and therefore is an evil form of judgment. And I'm going to go through what the, the flesh version of judgment looks like, and you'll be able to recognize that. I'm going to go through the spirit version of, of judgment and what it looks like, Polar opposites. They're not even close to each other. And you'll begin to realize what it's saying when it says, judge not. That's what it's talking about. Don't do this in the flesh with a plank still in your eye. If the flesh is still resident within and you are reasoning out of that and bringing judgment out of that, we have chaos on earth. Do not do that. 
Recognizing the flesh and judging. Seven common fleshly operations behind improper judging. Here's what I want to do. I want you to stand before God on this point and allow God to convict and to correct if you've been outside of your jurisdiction in judging or if you have been operating in any of these seven things. I'm not saying there isn't more than seven things. There's just seven things that I wrote down for this message. Pride. We call it the preservation of self's agenda. The fleshly cry of, please, notice me, applaud me, and make me your first love. A willingness to stomp on others that you might be more clearly seen. Why would some of us judge? Out of our pride. Stomp on them. Get them down. Punish them! Uh, Incorrect. That isn't what we are supposed to be doing. Judge not like that, lest you be judged. Two, fault finding. We call it criticism. I was talking with Steve Rosen, and I kept saying fault finding. He says, you mean criticism? Yeah, we're talking about the same thing. That's why I threw that in for Steve Rosen. Uh, Fault finding. Blind to virtue and fixating on fault. You could be staring someone in the face. They could be a wonderful person. You can't see any of that. All you see is their fault. You know what? That is a very unhealthy way to live, by the way. And it's also miserable to be around. I don't know how, how many of you have had fault finding in your life. You know, some of us, you know, when we're raised in our, in our home, our parents can only see what's wrong with us as children. That's not healthy. But at the same time, how many of you as children have only seen faults in your parents? And you think about your childhood and all you see is a list of faults. It's just unhealthy, okay? That's not the way God looks at things. He did not come to judge. He came to save. Your desire is to have God's lens towards those people in your life. And if his lens is fault-finding, which, by the way, it makes it very clear in Scripture it isn't, his lens is a desire to rescue. He knows how sin impedes, and he knows that if we have planks in our eyes, we, we can't be rescued. He wants us to be saved. However, he is not looking at us with just a fault-finding idea and mindset. He wants to see us rescued. Is that your mentality towards these people in your life? Those people that you've been harsh towards, those people that you've just had that stiff lip against, it's like, how dare they? Do you have God's mentality of rescue and salvation? Tattling. Uh, For those of you that are a little more mature, accusation. You see, when you have little kids, you see tattling a lot. We see it plenty. What is tattling? Supplying information with the singular desire to bring punishment to someone else. Why are you giving me that information? Why do I need to hear that? Well, there's this little desire inside that child to have someone get in trouble. You want to see them disciplined. You want to see them punished. That's judging. Okay? That's the work of the enemy, by the way. The accuser of the brethren? That's the devil! This is one of the works that Jesus Christ came and judged. We don't house this. Reviling. Beholding someone with contempt. Sneering at every action. Rolling your eyes at their every word. Withholding love, grace, mercy, and forgiveness. They don't deserve it. Turn them over to hell. Let Satan do whatever he wants with them. I don't care about you. Some of us will even use scripture to try and validate that. And I want you to know, separation in the body of Christ because of sin in someone else, is a very real thing. But not to withhold love, mercy, and grace from them. The only reason we'd ever do that is to save their soul. The only reason we would separate from someone is so that they would awaken and see. 
It's because we want them to behold the cross. Number five, hating, desiring someone's destruction. How dare we as Christians desire someone else's destruction? Number six, resenting, refusing to forgive, refusing to look past a fault. I refuse to do it. Will you forgive me? No! We hold on to this. And even when the church comes to us and says, you must forgive, you must allow them to go, you must cut this, Jesus has forgiven you. No. Kills you, by the way, too. It doesn't just try and hurt them. It kills you. Seven, jealousy. Destroying someone out of a wanton lust for what that person possesses. I don't care if it's talent, if it's position, that they happen to have the girl that you want. I don't care what it is. We do not operate out of jealousy. These are the operations that make judgment bad. And it takes something that God intends to be very good and destroys it. This is planked judgment. Plank-eyed judgment destroys you and it destroys those that you are interacting with. Recognizing the spirit in judging. Seven heavenly attributes of Christ evidenced in true judging. Humility. Boy, this is such an opposite list. It's like the, cl- the clouds clear and this lightness fills the room. That other list is just heaviness. And unfortunately, most of us as Christians have spent a good deal of time in our Christian walk lingering in those seven things. Jesus brought judgment on those things. He sets you free from those behaviors. Let's walk in that. This is what we can now live like. Out of humility we judge. If you are ever given a position as a husband, as a father, and you could look at this from the female angle too, as a pastor, as a business leader over other workers, as a civil leader in a local government, in a state government, in a national government, I don't care what it is. This is how you must lead. This is how you must judge. This is Christianity. Being entrusted with judging territory, we must handle that very wisely, very deftly for the glory of God. Humility, a yearning for Christ to be seen more clearly and for the lives around you to find their true fulfillment in his love and grace. Is that your motive when you judge? Humility. Hope, a constant thought that salvation is just up ahead, even for the dirtiest, most rotten scoundrels. Do you imagine having that attitude as opposed to cutting them off? It's like, God, please, don't let them go. Please, I know what they're saying with their mouth, but please, please, even the most dirty and rotten scoundrels, may there be hope in our judging. Three, faith. And knowing that God's word is powerful and two-edged, and if believed and administered properly, will not return without effect. I know what my God can do. And I know as I bring his truth to bear, it will bring forth good fruit. Number four, love. A willingness to suffer harm and wrong in order that others might find life. A true yearning to see others find life, love, and liberty in Jesus Christ. Could you imagine if that's the form of judging that people had in the church of Jesus Christ? In the family environment? And even in our own souls? Realizing this is how Jesus judges us. Kindness. A warmth of manner that befits the nature of the king of kings. Slow to anger, quick to forgive, always eager to offer the mercies of God toward the repentant, and always desirous to see the unrepentant soften and turn from their wickedness. Kindness. Anguish. 
Why would a judge have anguish? I don't know how many of you, and some of you just don't have children yet, and that's, that's good. Some of us that have children, if you've ever had to bring discipline, I tell you what, I think it's far more difficult for the parent to bring proper discipline than it is for the child. It's anguish. It is difficult, and it is pain. It ought to hurt to bring about discipline and to issue punishment. If it doesn't hurt, something's wrong with the judgment. There should never be a delight in seeing men suffer for their sin. Seven, courage. It takes a lot of it to administer the truth of Jesus Christ, whether it be in a soul, a home, a church, a business, or a civil sphere. True judging is always against the flow and always difficult. Boy, do I relate to that one. This is hard stuff. It is hard in my own soul at times. It is hard in my home. It is hard in the church. It is hard at Ellerslie to stand and say, look, I love you too much to allow this to go. I can't, I can't just turn a blind eye to it. I would be hurting the rest of the believers here, and I'd be hurting you. And I would be doing no service to my own soul and no service to the glory of Jesus Christ. The reason we must deal with this is because this is how truth reigns. This is how you are saved. This is how we all are saved. It's salvation that comes through true judging. The judging test. Is it your position to judge whose jurisdiction is it? Is there a void of leadership? If so, is it your place to step in or is there someone to whom an appeal could be made? You have street children in Brazil that are being hunted by off-duty cops. This is one of those classic illustrations. Well, there's a void of leadership. Who is supposed to be judging in this situation? It's a good question. Those are things you need to take prayerfully. But it may not be you. There may be someone above you that you need to make an appeal to. You follow me on that? Three, what is your heart condition? Are you seeking to genuinely save or are you secretly seeking to see someone punished? If you are desiring to see someone punished, you have a plank in your eye. But if you are truly seeking to see someone genuinely rescued, we got ourselves some pr proper judgment. Four, is your judging of the Spirit of God in humility and love and truth and fear and in trembling? Is the Word of God your basis or are your human philosophies and your social sensitivities your guide? Walking through a few of the sticky issues. By the way, there's a lot of sticky issues, and I know I'm opening up the equivalent of, I hate to use the term Pandora's box, but similar to whatever that would be, a lot of issues come out of this. Well, what about this then? I mean, how am I supposed to deal with this? Okay, I'm not going to try and solve all, and even what I'm going to talk about is just going to scratch the surface of it, okay, because we don't have a lot of time. What if a Christian leader is abusing their position? This is awkward. It's not your jurisdiction to lead, but you are in that jurisdiction. What if a Christian leader is abusing it? Well, and then you also have the issue of what if a Christian leader across town is abusing it and you're not even in their church? Other issues. But let's deal with this one. What if a Christian leader is abusing their position? It is not improper judging to make appeals and humility and love toward unseemly leadership. There's nothing wrong about that. It's not wrongful judging. It is not improper judging to come to a court of appeals, whether it be in a home, a business, a church, or a civil government. You could say in a home, there's no court of appeals. Well, there is. There's always an appellate process in a home, and oftentimes it's coming straight to daddy and saying, daddy, I didn't feel like that was done correctly. Okay? Whatever it, whatever it is. If it's humble and it's in love, 
There's nothing improper about that. And present a humble concern and propose a request for review and consideration. This happens a lot in the church of Jesus Christ. And oftentimes, the statement that comes back to us is, Judge not, lest ye be judged. This is a very difficult one. What are we supposed to do? Just allow them to behave any way they want? Your desire is to see them saved. If your desire and motivation is their health and the body's health, then there is a proper manner in which you can handle this. However, I'm not going to lie to you. These are very sensitive issues, which is why God hates it when his leaders go corrupt. However, it is improper judging to dishonor those in leadership by bearing their faults openly for the courts of public scrutiny and denouncing their soul as lost due to their private transgressions. Not correct. In other words, you may see something incorrect, but how you handle it needs to be of the Spirit. It needs to be in humility and love. Do not just go out and start parading around their faults to try and build a consensus and pull an Absalom and attempt to usurp that authority and say, I think I would do it better. Oftentimes there is a motivation behind our improper judging. Remember, it is love to cover over an offense. Hatred stirs up strifes, but love covers all sins. He that covers a transgression seeks love, but he that repeats a matter separates very close friends. Walking through a few of the sticky issues continued. What if a Christian leader is proclaiming ideas contrary to the word of God? Eek. Ah. Boy, have I had to deal with this one. Uh, what do you do? I mean, is it my judging territory? Is there someone else that should stand up to deal with it? I mean, if, if there's a renegade voice out there, they're publishing books, and there is no jurisdictional control over them, what do you do if there's not some type of appellate system for you to go to their overseer and, and make an appeal and say, I'm just concerned about this? What do you do? Difficult things. It is not improper judging if it is a public message intended for public consumption to humbly clarify disagreement in an honorable and respectful manner, of course, with said ideas, and even to contradict said notions with the word of God as your basis of reason. However, it is improper judging to personally attack the messenger and to denigrate the person responsible to ignorantly presume knowledge of their true heart motives and to declare their soul unfit for God's saving work. Walking through a few of the sticky issues continued. What if you, what if you, that's all caps, you are personally sinned against by a brother or sister in Christ? Ah, that's awkward too. I mean, you're sinned against, but it's not your jurisdiction to deal with correction in the body of Christ. So how do you, how do you deal with this? It's you that was actually sinned against. It's not your brother over here and you could actually make an appeal and say, I'm just concerned about this. What are you supposed to do? It is not improper judging to personally confront the offender in private and with humility, love, forgiveness, and grace walk through the offense in hopes of a tender reconciliation. By the way, no matter what happens to you, if you are offended, what's the first thing you should do? Forgive. Without hesitation. I mean, without even a blink, you forgive. What if they do it to you seven times? You forgive. Seventy times seven times. You forgive. That's your operation in this. You forgive. However, there's a barrier between you and them because there was an offense. And even though it's a forgiven offense, it is creating a breach in healthy relationship. It is improper. And by the way, your motivation in this would be to save their soul. Something is actually wrong with them. 
And so your desire is to see them healthy, not to see you healthy, to see them healthy. Your desire is to save, not to judge. And so it is not improper, it's not improper judging to personally confront the offender in private and with humility, love, forgiveness, and grace walk through the offenses in hopes of a tender reconciliation. Where does that come from? That comes from Matthew 18. It is also not judging or improper judging to continue the confrontation in accordance with the Matthew 18, 15 through 17 model if there is still resistance and lack of repentance after the first meeting. And thusly, it would not be considered improper judging to actually bring this offender before the church if he were still unrepentant. So if they're unrepentant, then you bring in two or three witnesses. If there is still a hardness, then actually the church leadership at that time will have kicked into gear and would have brought it before the church as a, as a whole. And that is not improper judging, to actually do this before the church if he were still unrepentant after a second biblically governed confrontation. If a hardness remains, subsequently see him removed from the church altogether. You know that's not improper judging? And the reason you would do it is for the sake of the church, to save the church, and to save him or her. It's not to just bring a, a lash and a punishment to their soul and to say, you, out of here, we despise you now. It's actually to see them rescued. Because if you do nothing, did you know that they will harden in that sin? But if you do response, they can be awakened to their sin. Walking through a few of the sticky issues continued. What about separation? Oh, one of our favorite issues. We could call it excommunication. How many of you like that word? That's a dirty word in the church of Jesus Christ too. I don't want to bring that up. What about it? It is not improper judging of others to separate from those calling themselves believers but who continue in unrepentant evil doing. Look at 1 Corinthians 5. I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators. You're not to company with them. Yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world. Did you hear what that said? Paul's saying, I told you not to company with fornicators, but I'm not saying those that are outside the church system because then you'd have to get out of the whole world. It says, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or with idolaters, for then must ye needs go out of the world. But now I have written unto you not to keep company. If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator a covet or covetous or an idolater or railer or a drunkard or an extortioner, with such a one know not to eat. Therefore put away from among yourselves that wicked person. Ah, that's awkward. Why would you do it? Because you love. Because you want to save. This is actually the rescue strategy for their soul and for the church of Jesus Christ. If you don't do it, did you know what? The church of Jesus Christ dies and that soul dies. You pick. You follow God's rule of law or you follow your worldly sensitivities. Sometimes separation is in fact the means by which God can save them. To deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's Paul giving in the same context of what I just read. Of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan. That's a little awkward. That they may learn not to blaspheme. In other words, this is a disciplinary work of the church, in this case Paul. Why? So that they would learn something. They would be saved from it. Because blasphemy is not helping their soul. May they learn not to do it. Okay, this is proper judging. Born of the Spirit of God to see salvation come. It is improper judging of others to forsake them and consider them condemned and without hope because of their evil doing. 
We are to treat them as one who is deceived by the devil and one who must be saved. How does one's judging territory increase? Only God increases the krenos territory of a man. Okay? So some of you, this is a big trip point. Okay? You're young bucks. Now some of the girls in here are like, I don't know if I like being called a buck. But you are young, strong, zealous Christians. And you are ready to stand for Jesus in this generation. How does your judging territory increase? Is it because you say, I want to lead a church. And you go out and try and start a church. I want to build a ministry. And then hire people to be under me. How does your judging territory increase? Let's look at and see what scripture talks about it. In Luke 14, Jesus told the parable to those who were invited when he noted how they chose the best places. So there's some table, and there's better places than others at this table. Saying to them, when you are invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the best place, lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. And he who invited you and give, and, and him, And he who invited you and him come and say to you, uh, give place to this man. And then you begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down in the lowest place. So that when he who invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, go up higher. Then you will have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. It's actually uh, a promise. By the way, what does that remind you of? This is before the crucifixion, right? He who humbles himself will be exalted. Does that remind anyone of Philippians 2? When Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross, and therefore he was highly exalted? This is the pattern, by the way. Jesus lived it himself. He took the lowest place and was called up to the highest. All right? That's the pattern of how judging territory increases. You do not seek to gain more judging territory. You seek to be faithful in your little territory. You be faithful in your little territory, and guess what? He will entrust you with more. And you will not have to take it. You will not have to grasp for it. He will bequeath it to you. The saints of God around you will say, this one, right here. We would like you to be over this. This is how it's always worked. In America, I realize we're all about self-promotion. That isn't how God's kingdom works. Do not exalt yourself in the presence of the king and do not stand in the place of the great. For it is better that he say to you, come up here, than that you should be put lower in the presence of the prince whom your eyes have seen. Hebrews 5. And no man takes this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God. Talking about the high priesthood. No one can take this honor upon himself, but he that is called of God. In other words, God's the one that calls him. As was Aaron, who was the high priest, so also Christ glorified not himself to be made a high priest. If anyone could have said, I'll take that position, thank you. I deserve it. I'm the most perfect person for the job. If anyone could handle any judging territory in all the universe, we know who it would be. It would be Jesus. And guess what? Even he did not take it upon himself. Even he did not glorify himself. God did. God has revealed the krenos increase requirements. So how does your krenos increase? Your judging territory increase. He has given the requirements of elders, bishops, deacons, and overseers in the church. You notice that? You read your Bible and it actually say, this is what a deacon, this is what an elder, this is what a bishop, this is what an overseer. This is what they must do. 
This is the life they must live. And what is it? It's the church of Jesus Christ that surrounds that should look and say, huh, this person meets the requirements according to the dictates of God's word. This is what we're looking for. You, the one that took the low spot. You, hey, could you come up here? We want you to lead us. And it is the church's responsibility to select their leadership based on God's standards rather than the world's. He said unto him, Well done, thou good servant, because thou hast been faithful in very little. Have thou authority over ten cities. You don't just wake up one morning and have a vision and say, I'm going to rule ten cities. You rule well that which God gives you, and he will entrust you with more. For if a man knows how to rule, not how to rule well his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? This is just a simple statement from Paul to Timothy. Hey, hey, if you're going to have people ruling the house of God, make sure they're ruling their own house well. How do they rule their own house well? They rule their own body well. That's the increase requirement for the judging territory. First, he must judge his own soul and body well according to the pattern of Scripture. Then he is fit to judge more. He's fit to get married and have a family. If someone comes to me, and the issue is, do you think I'm ready for marriage? Well, how are you handling the judging territory of your own body? If you're stinking that up, and if you still have a plank in your eye, the answer is no. You are not ready. And you can say, well, but I earn a million dollars a year. I mean, I've read all the books. I know all these things. You're not ready. That's what I'm telling you. You still have a plank in your eye. You're not fit to judge in a marriage and in a home. Okay, and I know that seems harsh. But that's the point. I'm not going to stick him in a position that I can counsel him and say, you know what, this is actually going to be harmful. Let's deal with first things first. You need the gospel. So he's fit for marriage and family. You want to know when you're ready for marriage and family? When you're judging your own territory correctly. Second, he must judge his own marriage and family well according to the pattern of Scripture. Then he is fit to judge more, the church and the civil government. Who should we put over us in civil government? Those that prove well in their family. Same test that we give for who leads the church, I say we should use for who leads the civil government. You could say, well, I can't vote then. There's no one to vote for. Maybe. Third, he must judge his own flock well according to the pattern of Scripture. Then he is fit to judge more, carry the governance of a greater responsibility within the body of Christ. So how does the increase of judging territory work? It works by God increasing it, And it works by the saints of God observing a man's life and the way he judges the territory that he's been entrusted. And then he is bequeathed more. The great twist. Okay, brace yourself for this one. We are called to mind other people's business. Now, what was the name of this message? Mind your own business. And then my great twist at the end is, well, in actuality, you're supposed to mind other people's business. How do you do that? By minding your own business. You mind your own business well, and guess what? You will be fit to help others mind theirs. That's what proper judging is. Proper judging is you have judged properly in your own life. Now, the plank has been removed, and you can help others remove the speck. Well, guess what? That speck is someone else's business. However, you've adopted it as yours because it belongs to God. It's God's business. He cares about planks. He cares about specks. He wants to see people saved. And the business of salvation belongs to the saints of God. So guess what? Their business is your business. 
but it can't be your business until you tend rightly to your own business. Mind your own business, Church of Jesus Christ, and mind it well, and then you will be fit to mind others' business. Philippians 2, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than themselves. Listen to this. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. You know what that's basically saying? Don't just mind your own business. I want you to mind their business too. What? God, this is contradicting Eric's message. Are you sure you don't want to rephrase that? No, he doesn't need to rephrase that. That's canon. Anything I say isn't. This is true. We are not just supposed to deal with our own business. We are also supposed to deal with the business of others. But what does that mean? Are we supposed to judge them out of pride, out of arrogance, out of revilement, out of hatred and dissimulation? Is that what we're supposed to do? No, we're supposed to judge not, lest we be judged. When we're talking about that kind of judgment. But we are supposed to make ourselves available for the saving work. It doesn't mean we have to be in a judging position in their life. But we have the truth of Jesus to offer them. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. This is the formation of the greatest judge ever, by the way. This is going to seem very backwards. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also has highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of the things in heaven and the things in earth and the things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Why was he exalted? Because he humbled himself and proved obedient and took care of the territory and the trust that God gave him. That's our job. I want you to sit on your summer spot this morning. Don't think about others' business. I want you to mind your business. And if you mind it well, you'll bring judgment on the issue of who Jesus Christ is and what that cross means to you. And you will stand firmly on that point today. Here I stand. Make a decision. Bring judgment in your soul. You must take a stand. And then I want you to bring judgment on what the Word of God is. Can it lie or not? Because if it can't lie, then we know that judgment has been brought to the devil, sin, and the flesh. You stand on that and allow that plank to be removed from your life so that no longer is it blurring your ability to help in other people's business. Because right now, if that plank is still there, we have no business helping their business. We mind our own business and we mind it well so that we will be fit to help mind others. And we will gladly lay down our life to see their business succeed. We will do whatever it takes. We will spend hours, weeks, months on our knees for the benefit of their business. That's minding your business well. That's how it works. Thank you so much for listening to this message by Pastor Eric Ludy, pastor at the Church at Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. Please feel free to make copies of this message, but do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without express written permission. If you have any questions, comments, or just need more information about Ellerslie, please visit our website at www.ellerslie.com. Again, that website is www.ellerslie.com. 
For Ellerslie Mission Society, this is Ben Zorns cheering you on as Christ cultivates his set-apart life within you. 